Welcome to the Welsh Rugby Podcast from Wales Online. Hello and welcome to the Welsh Rugby Podcast from Wales Online, brought to you by Gulliver's Sports Travel. My name is Matt Southcombe and I'm your host today and I'm joined by our rugby writers Andy Howell and Simon Thomas. Good morning chaps. I'm back. He's back. I'm back and. Back with a Where bang. Where have you been? I've been away. Where? Some lions thing. Oh, yeah. I, 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 was, I was the Lions side. It was a fantastic experience, great country, um, and the rugby was compelling right up to the very last minute, so you couldn't really ask for anything more. Seeing as we all thought they were going to lose 3-0. I never. <laughs> hold on, hold on, let's get this one. Right Just for the record, I predicted the Lions would win that series. Unfortunately, they never. But they could have. They could have. They take it all back. <laughs> I should say that we're live on Facebook at the moment, um, so if you want to watch us for the first 10 minutes... You can head over there or you can send our, your questions in and we'll do our best to try and keep up and answer those. We're only going to do the first 10 minutes on Facebook Live and then to listen to the rest of it, you're going to have to subscribe to us on iTunes. But we'll dive straight in. And Sai, you came back with a bang. There's some big news in the Guinness Pro 12. They are now Pro 14. Guinness Pro 14, as it now is. Yeah, I mean, obviously, they've been trailed quite heavily over the summer. I was sort of following it from New Zealand. Um, but it was nice of them to wait until I got back to work before they announced it. Um, <laughs> yeah, so it was a nice, uh, busy couple of days to start. You know, I, I've, I've nailed my colours to the mast on it. There's been some criticism. There's been some scepticism. But I think the positives far outweigh the negatives. Let's be honest about this. We've criticised the Pro 12 as was for a number of years for not generating enough money. We've talked a lot about the disparity in the two TV deals, the three TV deals, if you look at England, France and and the Pro 12. There's been a demand upon them to come up with greater revenue, greater cash. And in fairness, the Chief Executive Martin and I, along with the the unions and Mark Davis of the regions has been involved as well. They've gone away and they've come back with, as we believe, about £6 million plus pounds more from South African television, you know. Um, and obviously, as a result of the two South African teams, the Cheetahs and the Kings coming on board. It's much-needed money. I know it only probably, people might say, well, it's only about half a million pounds each, but when you're uh, in, in challenging financial times, half a million pounds is a lot, you know, significant money. And let's be brutally honest, if the Cardiff Blues, for example, weren't getting that half a million pounds, they'd probably be letting go of more than just the one player. And... I can't imagine it would hurt too much in terms of the scarlets wanting to finance this, uh, the recruitment of Lee Halfpenny. So I think there's a lot of positive personally. Let's, let's just discuss how it's going to work then. They're obviously bringing two teams on board. They have to change the structure of the league as a result of that. So how is this going to work going forward this season? It's gone to a conference system. There's two, uh, two conferences, seven teams in each. They, uh, each conference teams play each other home and, home and away and then there's a single game against the teams from the other group plus you do get your derbies home and away so for example the Blues will be playing the Scarlets home and away despite being in different groups that's right same with the Ospreys and uh, Dragons same with the Irish yeah same with the Irish so you still get your derbies so I think the Welsh fan will be pleased uh, uh, by that Um, uh, but of course on the negative side perhaps some people will say well how can you know, your, where you finish in your conference can be determined by playing a team from a different from the other conference. <clears throat> so there's that. It's a bit. It's like a Super Rugby, which they, you know they've got more conferences actually. But uh, and that's one of the reasons Super Rugby is why they're kicking three teams out of that is because it's become too convoluted. I think it's right, you know, what Andy says. It is a convoluted and complicated system with the Pro 14. It's going to take some getting used to. But if you look at it, what were the alternatives with 14 teams on board? 
you could have gone to home and away straight league, but that's 26 regular season fixtures. There's also a desire from the TV companies and the organisers for, for the playoffs, which are popular. So you'd have those on top of 26. There's just not the room in the calendar. The only way you could do it would have been to go on to a French-style season where you start in August and end in June. And I don't think anyone wants that from a player welfare point of view. We don't have the squad depth to allow it. So you had to look at the conference system. It's the only way around it. And you also had to have the derbies. I spoke to Martin Phillips, the WRU, and he said, just in the same way as um, you talk about the first name on the team sheet, the first priority looking at this was keeping the derbies. So to do all of those things, I don't see how else they could, could have done there it. There is another way they could have what done it. How could they, they could have had just one league, and they could have either played on a home or away basis, which they used to do in Super Rugby, and plus the derbies. So then, if, you know, you that's know. only that's only sixteen games. Though, yeah, having said that, that would then be uh, uh, skewed really by the Italians. There's only two teams, Scott. So uh, some teams do play more than others. So it's a bit. Uh, it's tricky. It's a it's a tricky one. I think uh, you know proof of being put in, and a lot will depend on how these South African teams perform, because uh, you know you look at their records in Super Rugby, they're not that great. We've had a question in our Facebook then. Tom Reeves asks, what else do you think the league can do to improve its image? Um, obviously, you know, this is the big battle, trying to get fans yeah. through the gates. What, what more do you think they can do? Well, it, it, there's not a problem in Ireland getting fans through the gates, are they? They've got some of the best supported uh, teams in Europe. So there might be a bit of a problem in Wales, but that comes down to success. And I expect the Scarlets will have more people watching them this year because they've been successful. The word from the Scarlets is season ticket sales are going up, and I know the union, along with the regions, we're working hard on that. And we've always said the success breeds support, you know, and hopefully on the back of the Scarlets' fantastic efforts last season, you will see those crowds go up. If you if you talk about what can the, as the questioner asked, how can the... Um, Pro 12, Pro 14 has now improved again. I think we, we all know that one thing that's been a pretty constant criticism and concern is, is the officiating, that's fair to say, and the refereeing, and that's is constantly brought up. It, it's not an easy thing to resolve. I mean, you, you don't just overnight create top-quality referees. Um, I, I, I disagree with that because I think every competition has got good refs and bad refs. I mean, we had the Lions uh, Test Series, you covered it in New Zealand there. Oh, the Jackal Piper, how oh, is he referee in <laughs> Test Rugby? Uh, because you know it's doing, this, doing the Super Rugby Super final. final this week there's controversy about that as well but you know so I, I'm, not, I'm not buying that about the officiating because most of the officials in the Pro uh, pro 12 as it was uh, actually referee international uh, uh, rugby as well I just think every tournament if you watch the Reva Premiership there's good refs and there's bad refs the other thing moving forward which I think has to be addressed for, um, for the Pro 14 as it is now is the TV contract we're into the final year now of the existing one which is a uh, a kind of a, another convoluted part of it where you've got BBC, you've got S4C, you've got TG4 in Ireland, BBC Northern Ireland, BBC Alba, Sky. It's, a, you know, it's a very kind of mixed bag of uh, broadcasting and it only brings in, in total, about £11.6 million pounds a year, I think. So I think, you know, we've talked about this a lot, myself and Andy, but perhaps that's what it's worth. But I think with a new product, something new to sell now and a negotiation right. process, you'd, you'd hope that they can bring in greater revenue. Yeah, but in Wales, Scotland, Ireland, etc., they're going to have to get, you know, they've got to get more people watching the tournament because I would argue, in Wales, for example, that the actual the TV contract is, is the, 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 the companies are overpaying because there's no competition for it 
really. And when you look at the viewing figures, they're not very high for the matches. The issue is that if you look at them, where the money's coming from, uh, about half of it comes from Sky and close to half of it comes from uh, BBC Wales stroke S4C. The issue is that realistically, broadcasters in, in Ireland and Scotland do not deliver a huge amount of revenue. Now, is, the, is it perhaps moving forward better to have one broadcaster, be that terrestrial or satellite, coming in as the sole broadcasters? Obviously, Sky don't have a lot of rugby now. Can they be persuaded to maybe come in? And I think Sunsport in South Africa is another part of the equation. Anyway, the bottom line well, is they, the next negotiation has sport, to deliver more money. Sorry, Supermort. Super and, and they are the key to all this, of course, because they are interested and about matches being played in uh, in afternoons in South Africa rather than early morning kickoffs if they're covering away games in New Zealand or in Australia uh, in Super Rugby. So they're the key. Uh, they like Sky's equivalent over there, and uh, it's them who are interested bringing the money on and. Um, you know, if this is uh, if it is successful, the cheaters and kings, and they get good ruling figures and all. Well, what what could happen is the uh, what I call the premier South Africa teams. The Lions are in the Super Rugby final. The Sharks, the Stormers, and the Bulls could be say, hang on, let's join European rugby. Although the talk is they are more interested. They the named teams in South Africa. The, yeah, the talk is they are more interested in joining either the English or the. Uh, French League, so it's the, but the Pro yeah. 14 can do a great number, no? They might be encouraged and want to join the Pro 14 when a Super Rugby deal is up in a couple of years' time. Do you a breath? <laughs> you, you say you say about the South Africans being interested in playing in, in in the leagues over here, but do you think the fans are going to find these teams attractive going forward? Is it going to push up attendance figures? Are, are fans going to go into Cardiff Arms Park to watch the Southern Kings, for example. I think the thing is, if you look at it, we've had a lot of talk about expansion and with teams coming on board. And one of the concerns over the last 18 months has been about the credibility of any new teams that come on board. And that was especially the case when we had to talk about America, American sides coming over. Now, if you are going to bring teams in from any competition, from anywhere, you can't really look much higher than the, than the Super Rugby, which is where they're coming from. Yes, I know they're being cut from it. Yes, I know that they were not title challengers, but they're still coming from you know, a pretty significant competition. And realistically, the Kings won six of their 15 matches in the Super Rugby this year. Now, how many Pro 12 teams would win six matches in the Super Rugby? What do you think? I mean, that's that's not an awful record, is it? No, it's not. No, no, it's just the old thing, isn't it? Old Murray away, and it? It, it? A lot of you know, a lot of teams in uh, tend to win their own matches. Don't do much. Uh, yeah. uh, don't do much away. Though actually, the Kings, I think they had two or three good away wins uh, this season. I mean, they're gonna have to be competitive, aren't they? And we say about uh, crowd figures. Well, sometimes Leinster come over here. You know, crack team Leinster and all, and not many people turn up to watch them play. Well, if they can't attract a crowd. Well, there's not much uh, much hope, is there? Well, it's an habitual problem in Wales, isn't it? That only the Welsh derbies really bring in the numbers. Before we before we say goodbye to everyone on Facebook, one more question to ask the pair of you: Do you, quite simply, do you like this idea? Does it appeal to you? I don't think it's uh, I don't think there's anything to lose, and there's everything to gain because it is bringing in uh, more money. And confidence system uh, doesn't uh, bother me. Uh, why not give it a crack and see what happens? Uh, the only negative I would have is I thought the product was improving anyway. Last season's league was the best we've had. I built on the previous year, which was also uh, very good. And I thought they had a qualify qualification system for Europe right by saying it's the uh, top uh, top seven. So the Italians, you know, could you know finish in eleventh in the league, qualifying for Europe. That was uh, not going to happen in future. So I think the Pro Twelve would have improved anyway this season. But you know, when if they got this extra money and all, you can understand why they're going with uh, South Africa. Um, the other concern I'd have is why why are the Pro uh, 12, Pro 14, 
organisers? Why are they so? Uh, they say it's one of the best leagues in the world. Yet all the time they seem to be trying to f- find some credibility from uh, somewhere. I, I'm a supporter of it. Um, we couldn't stay as we were. We had to bring in more revenue. We brought in credible teams from, from a, an established mature rugby nation. 56 million people. South Africa is a real rugby country. Personally, no, it's not. personally, no, personally, it's not. let me finish. Personally, if I was doing it my way, I would have had the South Africans replace the Italians and have a Pro 12 home and away. But that's just me. One more, actually. I said that we were going to go after this, but it touches on an article you wrote yesterday. Geraint's asking you, do you think they're going to have water breaks during these uh, matches? They're gonna, they, they are going to have to, because don't forget, these matches in South Africa are taking place in the summer. And they, uh, I've uh, researched it yesterday. Uh, we've, had temperatures, <laughs> we've had temperatures that uh, it, could, it, you know, it could be as high as 100 degrees. Uh, the average daily temperature in, um, in uh, Blue Form Team for some of the games will be in the 80s and about 77, 78 in uh, uh, Port Elizabeth. So they're going to have to have them, haven't they? You know, we don't, Matt, you watch it, but rugby, I watch it. It's in their winter, and you see how hot it is over there mm. then. Yeah. And, you know, I've covered the Lions Tour over there in their winter, and it's scorching. So they're going to have to have extra water breaks if it is that warm, and if it's afternoon kickoffs because of uh, safety reasons. Play your welfare, Simon. Thank you, Derek Brockway. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I'm going to get our cameraman, Scott, to cut the feed now. If you want to listen to the rest of it, you're going to have to subscribe to the podcast. The link uh, is in the post here. Head over to iTunes, search for the Welsh Rugby Podcast, and we're going to go on now, discuss the Pro 14 in more depth, and then discuss some of the region's business. So we'll wave goodbye to everyone on Facebook Live for now, and then we'll carry on with the podcast. Are we up? <laughs> okay. Uh, so we've talked about how you're a fan of <clears throat> what's going on here. So do... The powers that be deserve a bit more credit than perhaps they've been given. So I know there was a lot of yeah. people saying, you know, we're, we're entering August and we've not heard anything. Yeah. Some of the fans yeah. frustrated with what's happening. But do they, do they deserve a bit of credit for bringing in this revenue? Hey, listen, we all know it's not ideal to be into the first week in August and still not have the fixtures. Supporters, it's very difficult. How can they make plans in terms of taking time off work to book um, travel or to get to evening games? So it's, it's, it's not great for them. But my argument would be that there is some short-term pain, but the long-term gain is worth it. And if you, if you look at it, really, I think to have secured this, to have brought these South African teams on board in the close season, in time for the coming campaign, is a pretty remarkable achievement. It's essentially six months' work done in three. So I think Martin and I, the chief executive, and all the other people who have been involved, do deserve credit because, you know, there's a serious money brought in. You know, there's a serious um, commitment from both South African rugby and the Celtic community. Yeah. It's a long-term deal. We're hearing as much as even six years, possibly. So this is serious. It's not because that's the point. It's not just about bringing money in for one season and then finding yourself in another problem next year. This is a long-term deal. So I think to have achieved that in, this, in the time frame is fantastic. But obviously it will be a huge boost next week when the, the fixtures they, do yeah, come out. Yeah, they do deserve credit, but let's not beat about the bush here. The only reason the Cheetahs and Kings wanted to uh, come into the... Uh, or be added to the Pro 12 is because without that, they would be extinct. They would be going out of business because they didn't have a future. They'd been kicked out of Super Rugby. So uh, they were desperate... Uh, um, desperate to, to find other competitions and a pro twelve has answered it. But they still had to get it. the TV money though, and that's the key to it, isn't it? They still had to convince the broadcast in South Africa to put in six million yeah. pounds well, plus. Yeah, well, the Kings and Cheetahs are done now, I would assume. So you know that was a hard. That wasn't going to be an easy sell, and that was the big part that had to be achieved. I think. I suppose the next step now is is the fixtures. Um, 
and all the fans are going to be looking forward to this. If if your team were going to South Africa on the first weekend of the season, how would you feel about that? What in terms of going? Yeah, if if your team were well, going to South Africa, let's, first be, game let's be honest, and right? you've got three weeks. Let's be, let's cut this yes on this. Right? How many people? How many, how many people, people go? go? Pro- go? Let's be honest. How many? How many travelling fans are there at regular Pro Twelve matches outside of the derbies? How you don't really? Scarlet's, s- Scarlet's got a hardcore go. But you anyway. don't have many that really tra- travelling fans, do you? You don't, it, it, that's the nature of a cross-border competition. Blues Dragons don't take many. Ospreys take some. Scarlet's got the best hardcore travelling fans. But even like we talked about Leinster, fantastic support in Ulster. Ulster. You don't get a lot no, of they, Irish fans coming over to Wales, really, do you? Well, you've got, you got ones who live uh, either in Europe or in England. Let's be honest. Come, for away fans, it's essentially a TV tournament, really. And that will continue to be the case in the first half of the You just hit the nail on the head there. It's a TV tournament generally because more nearly every match is broadcast live so which, you don't actually need to go. Which is why I raised you know, the question of maybe a, 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 you know, a satellite broadcaster having overall rights sole broadcaster might help in any tennis figures. Perhaps. Perhaps on the other hand if it was just on satellite TV would it be a case of out of sight out of mind which is happened with other sports. Premiership like, is like, like live rugby on the Viva Premiership is only on satellite television. No it's not it's going on Channel 5 this season. Uh, that, up desperate up until it. now it's only, been on, yeah, it's only been on satellite television with the highlights on ITV yeah. and their, their attendance figures have been good so if the product is right people will come. And why are they going to have some matches uh, live on to wrestle this uh, coming season? I think they want to sort of have a breadth of it, don't they? So they want to have, but essentially the, the majority of the matches are still on um, yeah. are still be on BT Sport, aren't they? You know, they've got much bigger catchment areas. They have. They in England. Well, and most, and, and I, most of their teams are, you know, Leicester, Gloucester, uh, Northampton, and hardcore rugby areas. The other thing we've got to realise, we talked about that, that you know, the support levels in Ireland. Ireland's a bigger country, there's a bigger population. I know there's other sports there, but if you look at the, the uh, attendances in Wales and the attendances in Ireland based on population, they, they kind of correlate. That's really. misnomer. Total misnomer because I would argue more people in Wales are interested in rugby than in than um, than in Ireland because of other sports and there's also a, um, secretary, a sectarian divide as well about what sports. They're not got there really. No. <laughs> Let's leave it before we get into anything. Right, anything more either of you want to say on that? Because I think we've covered it in pretty good detail here. Yeah. I think the interesting thing that we, we haven't mentioned as well is that obviously some Welsh teams are going to have two games out in South Africa and there's going to be a new innovation where they're going to play back-to-back matches um, on successive Saturdays. So you have like a mini-tour aspect to it as well. Um, it's going to be a challenge for them. As Andy says, you know, it depends How what... How they t- have back-to-back matches? Well, so, what, so the Blues, for example, play both the Kings and the Cheetahs away as part of their season structure. Right. They, the will, tour, they will play yeah. them on the yeah, successive yeah. Saturdays. Well, and, it's I, great. and it'll happen yeah. in reverse, I think, as well. well so, yeah. so if the Cheetahs have got both, say, the Dragons and the Ospreys, I guess they'll play them successive well, Saturdays. Cheetahs, say, for example, the Cheetahs might come up and play three matches. Yeah, well, is, yeah. is that why probably this is why the fixture list is, I would assume, quite tricky? Because yeah. anyone going to South Africa will likely do a tour, yeah. and the South African teams are then going to have yeah. to do a tour of somewhere like Wales or Because obviously, from a cost point of view, you know, it's, it's a lot better if you can have just one return flight yeah. you know, for your trip. Um, but, but the other thing that's interesting, of course, is that um, the Pro 12 organisers are covering the travelling cost, the additional mm. travelling cost. Mm. Now, how they're doing that, people are asking the question. The whispers I'm hearing is that there's um, quite significant um, additional sponsors being hopefully brought on board. And that's what they've gone back to initially. Suddenly, they've got a product which they can more sell. Yeah. They can sell better and bring more revenue. What we in. talked about earlier as well is the climate. Of course, maybe they wouldn't want to try and, they're trying to avoid playing in South Africa for most of January. Potentially. 
Um, let's move on then. There's been a lot of things going on over the summer, not just uh, to do with the league. Um, I'm going to start with Lee Halfpenny. Um, looks, from what everyone seems to be saying, is that he's gone to the Scarlets. I read that he's had his pictures taken on Twitter. You never know what to believe on that. Listen, this has been such a saga. I mean, I, I did a little search on stories I've done about put Lee Hartley and transfer saga in. About 20 stories came up going back 18 yeah. months. Um, we've all written so much about it. He's been linked with so many clubs. There was talk of him staying in France. He's been linked with the Blues, the Scarlet. He's been linked with Wasps, Leicester, Bath, you know, <laughs> everybody really. Yeah, but he himself hasn't actually linked himself with anyone, had he? No, he hasn't. So, but I think, we, but I mean, all those clubs at various times we know have been interested in him. Yeah. It's obviously come to a situation now where it looked like he was going to stay at Toulon, and then our, the interesting Mr. Mouchoir Bouchardot. Well, because the Lions, wasn't it? Um, he decided to pull the deal because of everything that tied up with it. Um, and then he's linked with English clubs. Those options seem to narrow. And over the last two or three weeks, it's come to we've come to see that essentially the home front option was the one that was left. And really, that came down to a choice between Cardiff Blues, his former team, and the Scarlets. And yeah, it seems he's chosen the Scarlets. Blues can't afford him, though, can they? Well, the Scarlets said exactly the same thing. Yeah, but they were Scarlets are playing a, a canny game here. What did I say to you, Matt, before I went on holiday? <laughs> that he will end up at the Scarlets. And they were playing a canny game to try and get his price down because he hasn't got that many options, have they? So they probably get him cheaper now than they would have got him like six weeks ago. I mean, the word is. I mean, I, and it's I, a natural fit for him. I, I reported, and I'm pretty sure this is right, that when the original dual contract offer was on the table around about January, February time, when he was on the verge of joining Cardiff Blues, it was it eventually got to the tune of four hundred and twenty thousand pounds a year. Now I think it's pretty well understood that it's probably come down a little bit from there. And also, as I said, the Scarlets have got this additional South African money, which has made things easier. The blue it would it would have looked schizophrenic for the Blues to sign him, right? Because they've <laughs> they've spent all summer trying to cut their cloth financially for various reasons, which I'm sure we'll come on to. Mm-hmm. They've got rid of um, released on the process of releasing Franco van der Merwe from an area of the squad where they needed strengthening second row, and for them to suddenly find. 40% of uh, Lee Halfpenny's money for a position they've already got Matthew Morgan, Rian Williams and Dan Fish. It just wouldn't make any sense. It wouldn't add up in any way mm. other than in, well... Well, showbiz. It, showbiz. Showbiz. <laughs> showbiz, isn't he? You could put bums on, uh, on seats. Uh, just on that uh, point, Halfpenny, he'd be great for the Scarlets. I think what a sign-in. That would uh, you know help as well, get more people through the gate, and I think he's a, gr- a great player and was desperately unlucky during the Lions tour, unless, of course, that head knock he had in the one game over there. Uh, desperately unlucky to play in all the time. And the other thing, and to be honest, if you were Lee Halfpenny and you had a choice between Cardiff Blues and Scarlet, what would you do? Scarlet. Simple as. I, I read, somebody suggested on Twitter, I apologise, I can't remember the name, um, that going to the Scarlet might in turn improve Halfpenny because of his perceived lack of attacking ability if you look at videos from the 2013 Lions Tour of Australia he played some fantastic attacking uh, rugby yeah. but yeah you're right Stephen Jones way back good coaches Stephen Jones always a thinking man's uh, uh, player who arguably could be will become a better coach than he was player even though he's a very good uh, player yeah I'm sure it will help his game what will be interesting for me is what position he will play because Johnny McNichol was their fullback at the back end of last season, not Liam Williams. Liam Williams was on a wing, and McNichol came from the Crusaders in New Zealand, was a pivotal player in their title running with his ability to take the right option, whether run the ball back or kick it, and a lot of their best attacks came off Johnny McNichol. So I would imagine they'd probably stick with him at fullback and put half any on a wing. I find it interesting on the Lions too. Obviously, they were playing a wider game than we expected, Matt, you know, and um, 
he was entering the line quite a bit. He, he wasn't at his peak best, you know, and a couple of errors, and it didn't quite happen for him. But the guy's got lovely hands. But he was involved in, I forget which game it was, but he was involved in two of the tries. Remember when yeah. he chased the high kick yeah. and he put them off and I think George North scored. And, Hurricanes. And, who was that again? Hurricanes. Hurricanes. And, he cre- and he gave the last pass yeah. when a bigger miss pass on bigger and then he lovely hands for a guy over in the corner. I think he does the basics really well. I think he'll enjoy playing in a scarlet setup. I mean, you, why would you not want to play in a back line that's got like Sir Jonathan Davis, Scott Williams, McNichol, you know, um, Steph Evans on fire, Patchell, Gareth yeah. Davis... You know, if you're a back, that's that's up with mm. the best back lines in Europe. And if they can get him for three hundred thousand a year or three fifty <coughs> max, it's good business. I think about. Scarlet's. I think you know, the figure we're hearing is, is between like three fifty and three seventy. Scarlets have to pay forty percent of that. That sounds reasonable business. Yeah, that's what my concern, Matt, with this extra money coming into Welsh rugby. Mind is uh, traditionally when there's been extra money has come in, whether it's on the or been given to the regions and the clubs before them, whether it was on the Royal Rugby Union or elsewhere, as soon as the word gets out, there's this extra money, <coughs> the agents and the players are knocking down the doors of the chief executives. Saying, oh, the only thing I'd say about money. that is this 500,000 essentially makes up for the money that has been lost from the BT sponsorship ending and from the loans that are required to be paid back to the union. So basically we are where we were. Yeah, yeah, because of course they do own the Welsh. Uh, they do own the Welsh yeah. rugby union a substantial so, sum of money. So it's not regions. like it's a windfall on top of what they had last year. No, the players need to realise that. Okay, uh, another transfer you briefly mentioned it. So is Franco van der Merwe yes. uh, and the Blues. Bit of a strange situation. Obviously, he signed. Um, he was bolstering their lock division, which was desperately needed. Um, and now we hear he's on the verge of leaving. It's a simple. It's a, it's a reasonably simple story. I mean, I reported at length, um, sort of towards the end of last season, the Cardiff Blues were looking for the Welsh Rugby Union to take a greater involvement in in the setup there. Peter Thomas even suggesting handing the keys over to them on July the first and then taking over financial responsibility. Um, that hasn't happened. It didn't come to fruition. And at the end of the day, Peter Thomas has decided that he's not ready to continue to plough money in. If you look at the budget the Cardiff Blues were operating on last season, round about the £5 million mark, Peter Thomas and other board members' benefactors were putting in at least half a million pounds, I understand, to get to that level from the money they actually received. He's not prepared to keep on doing that. He's made it clear that he wanted to sort of focus on the kind of ground development and to bring the union in to take some of the financial burden off him. Hasn't happened. And therefore, essentially, without that private benefactor money, the, the Blues found themselves facing, I guess we can only call a shortfall, really. Mm. And the only way you deal with a shortfall is you have to try and reduce your costs. Now, one of the ways you reduce your costs, as we know in most industries, Matthew, is staffing levels. And they were faced with a situation where they, they had to try and cut that budget. Um, frankly, and I suppose when, somebody, when you're looking at who you're going to look to offload, somebody coming in new is perhaps... The person, especially if that's someone you can sell, because it's, it's all very well saying, I want that person off my wage, but you've got to find someone else who's going to employ them. It, that, that's the unfortunate thing about it in this case, is Van der Moe is actually a good player. And uh, therefore, there's other people, other suitors, London Irish, we understand, yes. who want his services. Now, they also signed Damien Welsh from Exeter Chiefs, but they can't offload him because it doesn't seem like anyone wants him at the same sort of uh, rate. rate. But, uh, you know, mm. Van der Mille, I think, would have been a good asset, despite his age, would have been a good asset for the Blues, and he would have helped bring along Seb, Seb, Davis. Seb Davis, who did really well for Wales. You know, kid who came from nowhere did well for Wales uh, against uh, in Tonga uh, and Samoa Tour in the summer. Um, but uh, I think so Van der Mille would have been good. I'm really concerned, though, about the future of the uh, uh, Blues, 
this uh, withdrawal, cut in their expenditure and all, I think that will have a negative effect on, uh, on crowds. Uh, if they are struggling on a pitch of results, uh, you could see them tailspinning, which is what happened. Uh, you know, the Blues, that's, that's, we talk about crowds. The Blues, when they were successful, when they had Arkane, Xavier, Russia, and that, when they won the Anglo-Welsh Cup, when they won a European Challenge Cup, they had an average attendance the one season of over 15,000. But then, the lack of investment, budget being tightened and all, players come towards the end of their careers, success stopped, and what happened? People drifted away, crowds plummeted, they left Cardiff City Stadium, went back to the Arms Park. Yeah, I mean, Andy's right. I mean, you can, you can trace very clearly where things changed in Welsh rugby. We had that kind of high point of the Ospreys winning the Pro 12, the Blues mm. winning trophies, Scarlet's very competitive. Then the wage cap came in, financial economic situation. Uh, there was restrict, there was reduced spending in the game. There was obviously the continuing sort of strife between the union and the regions. Um, squad, squad budgets reduced, success reduced, support reduced. We've said it many times. Blues should be major players in European rugby on a on an annual basis. But, but I guess that will come down. Peter Thomas will argue that comes down to the redevelopment of the stadium, and there's no sign yet of the members but, approving that. Well, let's cut to the chase then. Would you advocate? What has happened at the Dragons, happening at Cardiff Blues, i.e. a WIU takeover? I, I think it could work. I think it's almost inevitable this is going to happen unless uh, someone else private uh, comes in because uh, Peter Thomas and the other penny factories are just hemorrhaging money. They just cannot keep on going, doing it forever, can they? As you say, the only way to make yeah, a small fortune in Welsh rugby is start with a very big start one. Start with a big one. Hmm. There we go. Uh, let's move on to the Ospreys then. Um, story our colleague Mark Orders did with Dan Bigger uh, potentially looking at Northampton at the end of the season. Yeah, it's a long way off, mate, isn't it? It's not happening now. It's well, yeah, happening years' time. I know, but it, it, it was a, it's a big story. He's, he's in Wales number 10, potentially leaving. Um, thoughts on this. Is this a case now that the Ospreys is no longer big enough for two fly-offs like Sam Davis and Dan Bigger? They're not big enough for him at the moment. So. That's what I'm saying, yeah. Yeah, I mean... Because uh, all along we've heard they, it doesn't matter. They can play in the same squad. They'll both get plenty of game time. But I, I'm, I never really bought into that. And, and is no. this now coming to a head? Sam Davis started the seat last season on fire. It was brilliant, wasn't he? People were saying he should be Wales number 10 for the Six Nations and all. He wasn't. He was in the uh, squad, came on Italy, didn't he, at half time? Mm-hmm. Uh, but then after that, he fell away because of lack of game time, because the Ospreys primarily went for uh, bigger for the big games. And by the end of the season, Sam Davis was a shadow of the player he'd been earlier. Mm-hmm. Uh, in it, what will be interesting for me next season is if Sam not performing and Bigger's brilliant for the Ospreys which he has been consistently since he started with them but uh, what will they do then will they still want to, Will they still want him to leave then or will they make him an offer to try and uh, uh, to, to keep him well, uh, they, you know Sam Davis when he signed that new contract what was it about 18 months ago mm. uh, you, you could argue he should have gone somewhere else then yeah, Sam. You could see Sam had tailed off a bit from the way he played in the South Seas too. He wasn't quite himself. The hope would be that after a break, now he'll come back and rediscover the form he, he had for the first kind of half and two thirds of last season. Um, I don't blame Bigger at all. You know, he, what, how old is he now? And is he twenty? He's only got Pushing yeah. up, you know, he's, he's been a fantastic servant for the Ospreys. If he's got a chance now of a big money he, move next year, I, I don't know. I have well, no he'd, be on big, he'd be on big money now already, mind. Plus, him and Alan Wynne Jones, aren't they? They are Mr. Ospreys. 
the pair of them, they, those two are the driving forces the, of the, the Ospreys. The, the issue for the Ospreys would be if he is going, and they obviously have to look at what they're going to bring in because they've got James yeah, Hook joining. I'm old as James now, he's, oh, he's 30, 31. So whether they would need next year to bring in somebody else, but well, they got some young other youngsters, mate. Young but here's yeah. the question: here's the question. Right. 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 Is Dan Bigger well. is has Dan Bigger been offered a new contract with the Ospreys? We, we don't know, do we? This that could, you know, big bearing on the Gatlin's Well, law. this could be all. Well, this this, this could all be to. speculation, couldn't it? It could even be. Uh, is this agent driving it to try and get more money out of uh, uh, out of um, the Ospreys and perhaps the WIU? What will the WIU stance be in ten months' time about Dan Bigger's future? Will they want to give him a new contract? Will they want Sam Davis or someone else to uh, come through uh, by then? Because they, you know, there's a lot. Where's that's got some good upside? Ask. It's going to be interesting to watch Patchell's development. Um, Dan this Jones, coming season, Scarlet Dan Jones as well. Mm. So uh, Anscombe, you know, he still uh, he, he still looks like he's got something to offer. We're not, we're not saying it's a, it's a done deal, but it's a story that was going yeah. like, going around a lot last season. Um, so just briefly, say we, we touched on Gatlin's law there. How does how will this if he moves away? How does that affect? Just explain how that. Well, it depends if he's if he has an offer from the Aus- from Wales or from a WRU, which they consider to be a competitive offer, and he turns it down, then he is captured. But I mean, that's why I asked the question: Is there going to be a, a new dual contract offer on the table for the union, or will they kind of accept it as a fait accompli? The boy wants to go, and rather than complicate it by making an offer which they know is going to turn down, which will then lead to him being captured by Gatlin's law, maybe it's just best not to offer one at all. So they don't create a problem for themselves. And there's pretty advanced not warning of this one, isn't there? Yeah, you know, there's no. <laughs> you know, we're talking here as though bigger's going to be no, Wales no, no. outside after the next five or six years. We don't know, do we? Well, you know, yeah. and we said that. In my opinion, he was the best outside half in the Lions squad, best performing outside half in the Lions squad in the summer. I'm glad you said that. I had a chat with Dan out there. Um, after his last game, you know, and they're saying, oh, you know, we're just chatting. And you might imagine that he'd be frustrated because it kind of was obvious then he wasn't going to be part of the setup. But he was so bubbling and so positive about having gone through the Lions experience. He said he knew that he went out there kind of in many people's eyes as third choice, but all he was going to do was just play the absolute best he can. And do you know what? I thought he was one of the best players on that Lions well, tour. He was. he was outstanding. Should have been in a test team. Based Which, on performance, he, was just, in a, he was just in a hugely competitive position. But I feel personally that you know already, he already had a great standing in the game. I think his standing has gone up even further as a result of the Lions. Mm. All right, now let's move on. Finally, and speak about the Dragons briefly. They did all their, they've all done their business as far as the big names go. We think we don't know, but possibly. Yeah, Penny. Um, <laughs> <laughs> obviously, they brought in Gavin Henson and Zane. What are you saying about Simon? <laughs> Well, that'd be a good story for you, huh? <laughs> it would be a good story. <laughs> but yeah, they brought in Gavin Henson, obviously, as their big, big name. That's, if you were a fan of the Dragons, is that positive news? Is pro- yes. Some people perhaps think he's too old. How old is he, Andrew? He's about. Uh, he's 30. Oh, is he 34? He'd be 35, I think. In February, is he 35? Is he 35? Could he be not so many miles? Yeah, yeah, exactly. He hasn't played that much because of injuries, and of course. If he if he if he doesn't get many injuries this season, that uh, I think he'd be a major asset for the Dragons. He still thinks he's the best Welsh number twelve in the business and should be playing uh, for well, Wales. Well, but I that... suspect he will be playing uh, outside half of the Dragons. He'll be playing ten, will he? And it'd be what well, be interesting then is to see how he, if people like Tyler Morgan uh, at centre, how you know how he comes on, how Alan Amos comes on. Adam Deere, the Dragons. He's a good player. Yeah, uh, you know, so uh, 
they got some players there who could really shine outside uh, Gavin Ensign because Ensign, you know, his leadership would uh, I would expect would uh, rub off on him. If, if, for example, back to Dan Bigger, if Dan Bigger was at the Dragons, he'd turn around overnight. I, I obviously was away in New Zealand when um, Bernard Jackman's appointment was in. I, I've yet to meet the guy. You've met him a few times, Andrew. What's, what's he like? Oh, a top bloke. Yeah, really good uh, good bloke. <laughs> he was a good player. Jackman, a hard player. Um, he's, he's in it to win it. And, uh, uh, you know, he's come. Gatlin, I think, wanted him here. Gatlin knows him. Gatlin's worked with him. Gatlin rates him. And uh, uh, I think he's come here with uh, ambition, uh, drive, and... Uh, uh, and he expects a lot more from the uh, players. I don't think it's going to be easy for dra- players at the Dragons this season. I think he's going to be uh, beasting them, and he just lives rugby. What, what I like about what he's... I'm not sure if he's the one who's driving this, but they seem to be being really transparent at the moment. So, they, like, I saw he's putting videos of a scrummaging session out on Twitter. Oh, he's that in, sort of Inviting the fans down to watch yeah, a pre-season yeah, 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 session, yeah. you know, and coaches to come and learn things. Yeah, I think it's an important point. Yeah. I think they, they realised because of the tumult that went on at the end of last season, you know, there was a lot of pain, a lot of strife, the Newport name being lost, um, the takeover, a lot of unhappy people. They realised they've got to reach out, didn't they? Got to, yeah, they've got to the reach out. The best in the region, um, yeah. yeah. He, he, he wouldn't object to people turning up to every training session. Mm. He's that sort of bloke. And he, and, and he wants to promote the Dragons. So why did he, why did he, why did he leave at Grenoble? What happened there? Uh, I think it was a bit of a player's revolt over there. On Sunday. Well, what he said to me, he, he was quite open. He was quite open and, tra- and transparent uh, about it. It was about desserts. Uh, was about desserts or desserts? Some players. Uh, he stopped uh, for some players at the uh, training ground when they give him meals afterwards and all. He stopped certain players Brilliant. having desserts because he said they were uh, kind of a bit too much pork. And um, those players objecting to it. And... Uh, and Jack Mesby was he wanted uh, he wanted Grenoble to be challenging for the French title where he says there were players there whose goal was just to ride relegation each uh, season didn't have his ambition but of course some of those players turn against him when they uh, when their food was pulled and uh, <laughs> so you're it saying, all you're saying happening. it was all about the profit the roles in the black guard though it was that's something to do with it yeah it depends <laughs> on your ambition isn't it and uh, yeah. maybe and he's brought that ambition to the Dragons and uh, that can only be good, isn't it? So, you know, if the Dragons shouldn't be just avoiding being bottom Welsh region each season, should they? Their goal should be to become the number one Welsh the, region. The other immediate plus, I guess, we have to say from the takeover is the ground, the pitch. Um, mm. We've seen already the pictures of the work. That's going to be up and running for August the 26th. We all saw the problems they had last year. That being sorted, the new Deso pitch is a massive plus, really. Yeah, yeah, it's going to be hard, mate, another pitch, because don't forget, there's going to still be three teams playing on it. Yeah. Yeah, so it's still going to have a hammer in they can only add one way can't they the Dragons really the only way is up the only way should be up for them shouldn't it (laughs) and you know WIU they own them they want them to be a success so you can imagine some resources being pushed in their direction alright then boys that feels like a good place to end it thanks if you're watching on Facebook Um, today it was a bit of an experiment so we hope it went well if you don't like us on Facebook by the way head over there and search for Wales Rugby Online Um, If you don't subscribe to this podcast, head over to iTunes and search for the Welsh Rugby Podcast and you should find us no trouble at all. Next week we're going to be getting into the nuts and bolts with the regions because pre-season action is about to get underway. And of course you can catch all that on Wales Online.